0: This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit like and subscribe, whatever you're listening on. I'm Michael Ivins, creator of Legacy Battle. My co-host tonight from the Gird Iron Battle Zone, Brian King from Steelers Nation South, Rollo Coffin. We're joined uh, for an interview today. Uh, We got a wide receiver drafted in the second round out of Arizona by the Denver Broncos. We had a highly successful career, not just receiving, but he was a heck of a a return man as well. Uh, Denver counted on him for years. To, to get that good field position. He played in several Super Bowls there with the Broncos. Of course, uh, you know, we'll talk about his quarterback at that time, which I'm sure everybody pretty much knows. But we got we got wide receiver Vance Johnson
1: here. Vance, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Guess what? Look what I brought. Oh, <laughs> look you at go. that. And guess who gave it to me? The Denver Broncos then. That's
2: Fantastic. awesome.
1: Yeah, I was inducted into <laughs> the top. And actually, I was number 16 when they called me out on the field to give me my football. Awesome. Oh, that's awesome.
0: Excellent. Well, as I stated earlier, everybody, we're just going to have an interview tonight, and we are going to jump right into this, starting out with Brian. All
2: right. So, Vance, I,
0: I understand you
2: were, you were born in Trenton, New Jersey. However, you ended up out in Arizona where you went to college. What what were your early exposures to sports, and, and what ultimately drew you to the University of Arizona?
1: That's a really good question. So being born in New Jersey, my father actually eventually uh, had to come out to Arizona because he was a part of the Army. And that's where he met my mother at in Arizona. But then he took me back to New- took her back to New Jersey, and that's how I came about being born there. But when we had to come back out to Arizona, uh, things were kind of tough for me as a kid. And the only time I ever had any fun or any happiness or any peace is when I was watching sports on television. So I'd watch, you know, track and football and soccer, baseball, every sport. And so my father started telling me when I was a kid and wanted to be an athlete, well, then you can't come inside this house until you run for 40 minutes every single day. Otherwise, you can't come into your house. And so that literally, I tell my dad, I give him thanks all the time for making me always work out every single day. In fact, he would make me wake up every morning also at 5.30 a.m. to do my chores and my workouts before I could even go to school. So I gave my dad the credit. And there was a whole bunch of great athletes back in those days that I used to watch on television that just really showed me who I wanted to be like when I grew up. So what what ultimately drew you to the University of Arizona? So what drew me to the University of Arizona is growing up here in Arizona and being, you know, the number one track athlete, actually, because I ended up winning the gold medal for the Pan American Games at the Junior Olympics for, then I was going to go out of state because a lot of colleges were offering me scholarships. But my high school coach stopped by on that morning draft day And ended up saying, no, Vance, you're going to stay here at the U of A. And so I decided to come here to the University of Arizona where I said, you know what, maybe I need to stay close to my mom because my testimony, and I'll be getting into that a little bit, gave me proof why I need to stay close to my mother. And that's why I decided to be an athlete here.
0: So you kind of mentioned there in college, uh, you know, the, the Junior Pan American Games, you're also an NCAA champion. Now, I know that you went to the Olympic trials for the log jump. Like, had you not gone the football route, do you feel that you would have an Olympic medal in
1: your hands right now? You know, that's interesting you said that, too, because I share my testimony and I, and I kind of share with people how I actually ended up beating, beating the number one long jumper in the world. I don't know if you know this, but if you get, guys get a chance, Google who won the NCAA championships in 1982. And that was the year that Carl Lewis actually, the year before, he was actually the number one long jump champion. And he was going to win that year, that year, too. And I ended up actually winning. And I was a freshman in college and he was a senior in college. So... I was going to have a chance actually to go to the Olympics to possibly, you know, be uh, the Olympic champion. But it was the same year that I was getting drafted. And back then you couldn't do Olympics and also get drafted into the NFL back in those days. And so I had to choose to either go to the Olympics or go to the NFL. So I chose the NFL.
0: And what is your message for two sport athletes
1: out there who have to choose one over the other, much like you did? That's a really good question because I was playing baseball and soccer and basketball and football. And so I usually just want to give those kids advice to say, you know what, just do the one that you're the best at. And so whatever sport you're the best at, that's the one you want to continue to participate in, but don't give up on doing the other ones because the other ones keep you in shape. So Vance, in
3: 1985,
2: you're drafted by the Denver Broncos. Uh some great offensive minds on that coaching staff. Uh, you got Chan Gailey, Mike Shanahan, of course, head coach Dan Reeves, uh, the Bowen family, you know, own the team. Uh, what were your thoughts about the
1: coaching staff, the front office, and, and the ownership of the of the Denver Broncos? Thanks for taking me back to that memory because, you know what, I called them family. In fact, I used to call uh, my coach, my head coach, who was the coach back then? Dan Reeves. Dan Reeves. I used to call him Dan. Yeah. <laughs> You know what he would make me do? He would make me come by his office every morning at 5:30 a.m. so that he can show me how to be a wide receiver. And then he set me up to go hang out with John Elway off-site so that I could learn how to run routes and everything. And so, you know, John Elway became one of my best friends. But and they won't share this guys on media. But guess who really was the runner of the Denver Broncos? John Elway, okay. Even he, oh, yeah. was, <laughs> he actually wasn't really the one that was running the team because Pat Bowling gave charge to John Elway. And I'll get into that part of my testimony, too, and show you how Dan Reeves ended up getting fired. It wasn't it wasn't uh, Dan Reeves' fault.
0: Hmm.
1: You guys know that story?
2: No. Can I share no I, I'm not really familiar I, with that
1: one no. I can share with what happened? Yeah,
2: yeah
1: go, so, for, go for it, yeah. And I always hung out, you know, all the time, whether off the field or on the field. And one day we were having lunch, and he looked at me and said, hey, Vance, who should be head coach next year? And guess who was sitting behind us? Dan Reeves. Dan Reeves took off running because I was like, why would he say that in front of Dan Reeves? And so at the end of that year, we had to play against the Seattle Seahawks. And when we got up there to Seattle, at the end of the game, John pretended like he had hurt his arm so he couldn't go back in. So they put in the, I forgot who the second team quarterback was back then. And we ended up losing. And so when we got on the bus after the game to go home, head to the airport, guess who wasn't on the bus? Dan Reeves. Wow. Because he purpose so that Pat Bowling would fire Dan Reeves and so he couldn't fly back out with us and I oh, didn't even wow. know that I had told the bus driver you can't leave until Dan Reeves get on the bus he said and John said no never mind Dan Reeves not going to get on the bus and so when we got back to Dan, that very next morning I got a call because like I told you guys I used to have to go to Dan Reeves office every morning at 5 30 and he said Van stop by my office he said I got fired. That's why I couldn't get on the airplane with you guys because John told Pat Bowlen to fire me, and so that's why I can't be the coach here anymore. Wow. Uh, so really, it was John Elway. In fact, what happened just over the last couple of weeks? Who just left the Broncos?
2: Yeah, John Elway. Yeah,
1: because yeah. <laughs> he was playing. <laughs> Good, brother. Hey, Good. Bro.
3: Hey, Vance, you were on the field for the drive, which is one of the most clutch moments in sports history across all platforms. Uh, how confident was the huddle that you guys could drive the length of the field? And after you guys tied it up at OT, how what was the feeling like this was our game? Because it was such a deflating moment for the Browns giving up that drive.
1: That's interesting you said that because that, that takes me back to the memory, too, because I was in the huddle and John Elway was on the sideline because they were trying to figure out what plays they were going to run. And we were all in the huddle talking about how we were going to lose the game. But John Elway came out to the huddle. He said, guess what, guys? We're going to win. And so because we trusted John Elway, we just listened to him. And he started calling the plays. And what he told me is, because he knew that everybody was probably going to be covering me, he said, Vance, I'm not going to throw you the ball one time until we get down to the end of the field. But I want you to get the middle of the field. So when you take off running, the defensive backs and the linebackers and the safeties, everyone's going to chase you. And then he would tell that receiver or running back to run underneath me. And that's who he was going to throw the ball to. And that's what he did on the drive. And so when we got down to the end of the play and we had our last play, you guys know Mark Jackson, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So John told me they're going to double team, you too, Vance. So I'm going to pretend like I'm going to throw you the ball, but then Mark Jackson's going to come come behind you. I'm going to throw him the ball. And that's when we ended up making that touchdown. Hmm. So In fact, uh, Mark Jackson ended up spiking the ball, and the ball went over the fence, and I took off running and jumped over top of the fence and grabbed the ball. They didn't show this on the video either on television. And I took him the ball back and said, this is going to be one of the greatest comebacks in NFL history, Mark. Why would you spike that ball? And so he kept <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars off that ball after he took it back to the sideline.
0: <laughs> so you mentioned Mark Jackson. Of course, uh, Ricky is out there and yourself. You guys make up the three amigos. Uh, how How y- – y- y- let me rephrase that. So, Three Amigos, how did you all, like, bring a different aspect to the position for quarterback John Elway?
1: First, let me start out with how we came about being the Three Amigos. Is that okay? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, because I was drafting the second pick in the second round, but what would be the first round now, and Mark Jackson was only drafted in the ninth round. He was my friend and we were roommates. And when I found out they were drafting Ricky Natale in the first round, I told Mark Jackson, and I don't cuss anymore, guys, So, but I'm going to pretend like I'm going to say a bad word. I said, you better not F and talk to him because – He was drafted in the first round, and I don't like him. And so Mark Jackson said, okay. But then guess what I found out? Mark Jackson and Ricky and became good friends, and so I got really pissed off, and I would cuss Mark Jackson out in our locker room every night. And one night, I turned on the television, and I was watching, and guess what? A movie called The Three Amigos. And I just told me, you guys need to be the Three Amigos. So I walked into Mark's room and said, Mark, I need to apologize to you, and I'll apologize to Ricky tomorrow, because maybe we need to be the Three Amigos. So the very next morning, we went out, and they have an interview at the end of every practice back then. And I told the press that John Elway called me, Mark, and Ricky, the three amigos. And then guess what? They interviewed uh, John Elway and said, John, Vance Johnson said you guys, did you called Vance and Mark and Ricky, the three amigos. And Mark and uh, John Elway looked at them like, what? No, I did not. He said, what are you talking about? He said, maybe the three midgets because they're all on the six feet tall. <laughs> and so we all just start cracking up laughing, but the very next day on the front page, guess what they put? Elway calls Mark, Ricky, and Vance the Three Amigos, and that's yeah. how we became friends. <laughs>
2: nice, nice,
1: wow!
3: Hey, Vance, uh, the Broncos went to three Super Bowls in four years, which is a pretty much a major accomplishment. Do you feel because you guys didn't ultimately win it in those 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 times that it was a disappointment, or do you feel like, man, I played three Super Bowls in four years; not many have accomplished that.
1: You said that because after the first Super Bowl, when we ended up losing that Super Bowl, when I came back home that day, I actually ended up in my closet and I was trying to commit suicide. I'm just got to be really transparent with you guys because I felt like we were going to win. And when we didn't win, I just wanted to kill myself. My mother had called me and I said, Mom, you just saved my life. I was getting ready to cut my wrist. And so two Super Bowls later, we ended up losing all those Super Bowls and it got really hard for me. And so we really got depressed about it. And I'm not even sure where else to go with that, but it was it was pretty deep. But one thing I will share with you guys is what John Elway would do, and I even got proof on highlights. John Elway would, in the huddle, he would call the play, and then he would tell which person he was going to throw the ball to. And he would tell them, and if you drop this so-and-so ball, you're going to so-and-so cut. Ready? Break. And then we'd go back out onto the field and run the play. And two of my teammates ended up getting cut because they dropped passes that very year that they dropped that pass. And I won't tell you what their names were, Otherwise, you might say, that's the three amigos. <laughs> wow. Well, I didn't, I didn't drop any passes because he would tell me, Vance, you better effing catch this ball. In fact, we played one play when we were inside, and it was fourth down. And there was only about uh, two minutes left. No, about a minute left in the game. And we, it was fourth and 20, and John said, Vance, I'm going to throw you this ball over the middle of the field, and you better catch this ball. Otherwise, you're going to get cut. And I ended up catching that ball. And I even showed that on my social media not too long ago, how John Elway told me that and how I ended up catching that pass. <laughs> nice.
3: That story kind of tie- leads into uh, one of my questions is, uh, legend has it that uh, Elway had broken a couple of his players' fingers by throwing wow. the ball. Uh, does, this legend, does this legendary tale have any merit to it? And how hard did El- he throw the
1: ball? Oh, geez. <laughs> Look at that. Elway did that to me. Oh, my. <laughs> <look at> that. <laughs> Even though I got my Super Bowl ring on that one, Elway dislocated that one, too. Mm. He, he <laughs> five or six of my fingers. Wow. wow. So he, he spun it like that? Yes, and guys, oh. the people that are listening to this, we did not talk about this before this conversation. So literally, what just came out of his mouth, I just proved that he's right.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> wow. Hey, le- legends never die, you know, that's... <laughs> Hold on. Wow. Can you show that to the viewers one more time? One more time. First, I'll show it to you normal, but this is what L.A. did to it.
2: Wow. That's incredible. That wow incredible. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Man, so, the Vance, I, after your pro football career was over, you, know, you faced some very difficult challenges um, with substance abuse, some personal family tragedies, uh, there was a point when you really, truly hit rock bottom in your life. Um, it was then when when something absolutely incredible happened. So could you describe the scene for our viewers and, and what exactly it was that changed your life and got you on the path that you're on today?
1: I look forward to sharing that part of my testimony. So in my 10 years doing my career, guys, I really thought I had it made. And by the way, I didn't get cut from the Broncos. It's just because I was leading on my addictions. I ended up actually not going back to sign the contract that I was supposed to sign and the Broncos would even make me come early sometimes to detox me before the games and so when I was struggling in my addictions I decided to just lean on my addictions. Now by this time in my life I'm on my seventh marriage. I had five marriages during my career and I had two more after my career and when I was leaning on my different addictions and everything I started struggling so bad that because of the things that I did with my sexual immorality and my addictions on drugs and alcohol and my losses of my properties that, which by the way, seven were foreclosed on. I was being flown out to Las Vegas to gamble. They would take me on private jets out there. And I ended up finding myself a million dollars in debt that I was struggling. And I called my mother one day and told her that I was gonna die. And I even had my own restaurant out there and she forced me to get in the car and take me to the hospital. And I ended up ODing. And so they had to induce me into a 28 day coma because my body was shutting down. And on day 24, my body is shut down. And so they said the Vance is not going to wake back up. He's going to die. And my, my, sister, my sister came out and took a deathbed picture of me. And I'm walking, I can send that photo over to you guys. And my mother literally told the doctor, God's not done with my son. And on day 28, my eyes opened up. And when my eyes opened up, I asked if my ex-wives came to visit me and if two pastors came to pray over me. And they said, Mr. Johnson, out of your seven ex-wives, those two ex-wives came to visit you. And those two pastors that you never even met came to pray over you. So what are you talking about? How would you know their names when you were in a coma? And that's when I realized that there's a spirit that lived inside of me. And then afterwards, I ended up actually struggling again with, you know, overdosing and just relapsing over and over again. And I started screaming and crying out to God. And then all of a sudden, my phone rang one day, and it was the NFL. And the NFL said, Vance, your ex-wife said that God put it on her heart that you needed some help. And I said, I literally was just screaming and crying out to God to help me. And you guys need to help me? Please, you can but I don't have any insurance and I'm in debt. And they said, NFL will pay for you to go to treatment. So the NFL paid for me to go to treatment and sent me out to Florida to get treatment from Colorado. And when I was out there, I was around eight or nine different NFL ball players who were also in recovery there at the treatment program. And then one day I was going to leave treatment after 13 days because I thought I had it made. And I heard a voice inside of my head when I was outside, get ready to AMA, which means uh, against medical advice. And I just heard a voice that said, you need to go back in. And so when I went back in, they gave me a recovery Bible and I started reading scriptures and I start seeing how even in the book of Proverbs, it says there's a way that seems right to a man, but his pathway leads to death. And that's exactly where I ended up on my deathbed when I was OD'd in my coma. And then there was other scripture that said that even though that Christ had to die for our sins, he cried out to the one that could save him. And the very thing that I did was cried out, and all of a sudden, well, my phone rang because I didn't reach out. I just cried out to God and my phone rang, and that's how I got in treatment. And that's why, guys, I start leaning on only my faith. And for the rest of my life, I just share my testimony about how Jesus Christ saved saved me from the bondage of my addictions. And the space that I work in now is getting people into treatment, no matter where they are in the country, doing interventions. In fact, I did an intervention in 2020 that ha- has had our, over a million views now. It's on the show Intervention, the A&E Show Intervention. And this oh. is the that I made God, guys, for the rest of my life. I just want to offer the hope and help the people get treatment so they can know that there's a way out of that struggle that they've always dealt with. Because it's not about the life we live now, it's about the life to come. And this is all biblical, this is not coming out of Vance's mouth, because it says the life you're living in your flesh is temporary, but eternity is waiting for us. And it says that those who live in their different addictions and sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so that's why I just repent it for my sins, to even my ex-wives, every single one of them, and even my own kids. And to this day, I reach out to them to let them know coming up on 10 years of my sobriety that I'm just really sorry about the person that I was. And that's the reason why guys, I'm having an interview in the car right now because the very thing I did this morning with with a young man that said he's graduating out of treatment but he needed to go home to his wife and his kids. He said, Vance, will you give me a drive? And I said, sure, I have a Zoom that I need to get on but I'm gonna take you home first to your wife and to your kids because I wish I I was like you when I was in treatment.
2: Right, right, so Vance, I mean, that's incredible Anyone that's out there listening to, to this podcast, if you could just straight up tell them something, just how, you know, if they're struggling and, and they and they just wanna get started, what is that first step like? What, what, what would you tell them?
1: Well, the first step I would tell people is they need to acknowledge to someone else that they're struggling and that they need help. And whether you reach out to me on social media, I have Advanced Inspire's Facebook page, or you just go online and try to try, find a treatment program that'll take your insurance then you just really need to just be transparent and open and just let people know that you need help. Because a lot of people that struggle with their addictions don't want people to know that they're hurt. So I just ask them, please just let somebody know, I need help. Please help me now.
0: I I know part of Brian's second questionnaire is like, you know, tell us a little bit about the ministries that you're currently involved in.
1: Yeah, the ministries I do now, and I'm actually an ordained minister now, I travel all over the country. And last year, I spoke 48 times, even around To share my testimony. And this is just the very promise that I made. And so my ministry is just really offering the hope and help to people that are needing to get into treatment so that they can know that Christ Jesus paid the price and nailed all our sins and addictions to the cross. And so whether it's at a celebrate recovery program that I speak at, whether it's the high schools around the country that they allow me to come talk to, which by the way, just last week I was invited down to Nogales, Arizona, right there to the border, because a lot of kids are being used to bring the drugs from across the border into the United States. And they wanted me to talk to those kids. And so I met with those kids one-on-one to tell them that you guys need to be really honest to your school teachers and to your parents about what people are giving you money to do. And a lot of the kids were raising their hands when I asked them, is anybody asking you to come to the borderline so they can hand something across the border so you can take it across? And they will raise their hands and say, because they're giving them money. And so this is just the very promise that I made God for the rest of my life, all I wanna do. And so the other promise I made guys Because it was all biblical that the woman at the well was married five times. And Jesus said, the one you're with now, you're not married to. I was married seven times. But I knew Jesus was telling me, the one you're with now, you're not married to. But the very thing she did was ran back into town and told everyone about the one that saved her. And so that's the very promise I made. And so Jesus Christ, after 33 years, ended up dying for our sins. And I just got back to Arizona after 33 years to let people know that Jesus Christ died for my sins too.
0: That's my favorite right. scene from The Chosen. I don't know if you watched that show or not, but yeah. that was one of my favorite scenes. At really? The season one, there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot. A lot of times, I wear the Chosen hat on this show. Um, but uh, yeah. Anyways, I thank you so much for coming on and and sharing your story, and thank you for what you're you're doing for those in need out there. We we appreciate all of that.
1: Thank you guys. And w- what's your ministry? Because I'd love to, if you ever want me to, to do a prom- promotion for you guys, so I can share on social media, so people start following you guys.
0: Oh yeah, I'll 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 get that to you after we're done here for sure. Yep. So yeah, I appreciate that. I remind everybody too, make sure you hit like and subscribe. Okay. Uh, whatever, whatever you're listening on, we appreciate that, and uh, we thank you everyone for joining us, and and we'll see you all next time. So have a great night.